all of a sudden, this liberating idea came to us that things about children and for children are mostly learned from children and that we had to begin to listen to the children. There are several principles underlying the Red Chair approach to education and that pedagogy of listening, and it's not just listening with the ears, it's listening with the whole body, but it's also listening for understanding and listening in order to be able to dialogue. The words Reggio Emilia are probably familiar to almost everyone in the early education sector. New centres are opening up every week that claim to be Reggio-inspired or to do the Reggio philosophy. But is Reggio something that can be done by services? What are the principles that underpin the Reggio Emilia project and how can they be applied in an Australian context? I'm Lisa Bryant. I'm Leanne Gibbs. And I'm Liam McNicholas. And this is the Early Education Show. A fortnightly look at the policy, politics and practice of Australia's early education sector. This episode, we're joined by Jan Milliken. Jan was Director of the Reggio Emilia Information Exchange in Australia, an associate of the Education Faculty at Monash University. She's had many years of experience teaching in early childhood settings in Australia, England and Canada. Jan first became aware of the educational project for young children in the city of Reggio Emilia when attending an early childhood conference in the USA in 1988. She subsequently joined the first American delegation to visit Reggio Emilia in 1989 and later visited the exhibitions in the USA, Germany, France and Canada to increase her understanding of the principles underlying the work of Reggio Emilia schools and to dialogue with other people about their interpretations. In 1992, Jan first spoke about this project at an ECA conference in Adelaide and organised and led the first Australian delegation to Reggio Emilia in the same year. She has now visited the schools of Reggio Emilia on many more occasions and organised and led numerous Australian delegations. One of the wonderful things about Reggio is their ability to document and to really document children's experiences. And that documentation is is on, on the walls. Um, and the documentation contains children's conversations, their, their images, as well as um, some challenging questions from the educators because all of that documentation is, is really viewed as being... Um, a piazza, a piazza for dialogue. So it's really there not to say this is how it is or this is what it really means, what do you think? And what we saw happening in that documentation, and I give the the instance of three-year-olds who were doing remarkable drawings with fine line markers. At that time in Australia, I think we would only have been giving children, and there would have been exceptions, of course, but mainly we were giving children those fat wax crayons to draw with. And, of course, if you've ever tried to draw anything with those fat wax crayons, I know they've improved over the years, but virtually impossible. And here, it wasn't that they didn't offer children this, but they were offering children the choice. So it was a children's right, if you like, to make that decision about what they were going to use in their languages, there are many, many languages. So, Reggio, talk about the hundred languages of children and the opportunities they provide for children to speak 
in a different way and for adults to listen in a different way. The other thing was, was the environments, which was something that was way beyond anything that I was seeing in Australia. And once again, I'm sure there would have been exceptions. But it was, the, um, it was a very large space that was being offered to infants and toddlers. So the organisation in Reggio Emilia is um, Infant Toddler Centres for Children Three Months to three years and preschools for children three to six years of age. Children go into the primary school when they are six. And so those two different elements, but in those environments for the naught to threes, it was the enormous amount of space because I think, and I think still in our centres, we restrict those children who are just finding their legs and their feet and all they want to do is really run. You just have to observe them at the airport if they escape and they would go forever. And here was this enormous space that was available to children. I think one of the other things that really stunned us was that the beds for the um, for those very, very young children were actually baskets, but they were on the floor. So the children could climb in themselves and also climb out themselves. So here was really children being given um, the opportunity to make decisions for themselves. And it really all goes back to, I think, this overwhelming um, sense of democracy and when does when at what age does democracy actually begin and also this other word of participation in decision making yeah. so maybe could you give a little bit of background as to how this um, approach to children and early childhood education began in in Reggio Emilia because I think sometimes there's not the grasp that this is a has a, a cultural context as well so could you give a little bit of history to that for us yes I think this was a um, this was a movement that really began after the, the Second World War and strongly related to uh, of uh, being under a fascist government for a long time which had really divided their community enormously and so when the war ended there was this very strong movement and it particularly came from women in the community who wanted to that they needed to go back to work for a start to rebuild the community but they had lost so much but there was also this very strong idea that education they had to avoid war ever happening again and how could that possibly happen and that you needed to begin with education education needed to be different there was actually um, a leader in the city of Bologna, which is very close and part of the Emilia-Romagna region in Italy. And this person said education has to be different, but it has to begin with the youngest children. And so Loris Meligrizzi, who was actually became the founder and the philosopher behind the Reggio Emilia approach to education, was one of the people who was part of this small group who met in Bologna under this leader, whose name was Tiari, and um, brought these ideas back into, into Reggio. But it was a very strong women's movement. And so Meliguzzi um, used to go to the, the programs. He was actually a primary school teacher, um, but he used to go to the schools that were run by the parents for the, for the young children. And they were really searching for how education would be different. And that was something that seemed to be um, really missing for them. And then Meliguzzi makes this statement that all of a sudden, 
this liberating idea came to us. The things about children and for children are mostly learned from children and that we had to begin to listen to the children. There are several principles underlying the Red Share approach to education and that pedagogy of listening, and it's not just listening with the ears, it's listening with the whole body, but it's also listening for understanding and listening in order to be able to dialogue. Entering dialogue with the idea that you might be willing to change your mind. And I think that's very um, a very cultural thing in that whole approach. And so the Loris Malaguzzi was able to convince the local government and really the local government and the mayor of the time really needed a great deal of credit. But he convinced local government to take responsibility for the education of the youngest children. And so this was the first place in Italy where local government had actually had this responsibility. Now it's, it's, uh, it is the law. So that's how it all began. Right, yeah. So it's it's set in that um, post-war cultural context there. And the, the principle you're talking about, the, the principle of listening, I suppose, the um, and, and listening differently, what are the other principles of, of um, the project? Well, the very first principle is the is the image of the child. And the image of the child is really, really related to um, seeing children differently <laughs> and to giving children, um, making them visible, making them visible in the community. So it's not just, this is not just related, this is really a whole local government um, approach to something. And so um, the, that very first uh, principle is the child as a protagonist of their own learning. So it's setting up um, a program with children as well as for children. And so that whole idea of the democracy um, of involving children in all of this is a very important, important thing. Also that term participation too. So it's not just the participation of letting families participate. It's a, it's a matter of the whole community participating in what's going to happen in these centres. So I think um, one, so one of those principles, certainly the very strong principle, is participation. And as a way of in, uh, making sure that this is going to happen, because this is something that they feel the whole community should have responsibility for the, the early childhood education program. The, the later education is actually managed by the state of Italy. And so in many ways, it is really quite conservative. Although there are now um, national curriculums, both for the primary school sector and the early childhood sector, but they are very liberal, um, could, could really um, relate to our own so that participation um, involved opening up early childhood councils in every infant toddler centre and every preschool centre. And so those early childhood councils were open to anybody to be part of. So you would have, it could have been the cook in the centre might have been part of it, it could have been teachers, it could have been families, it could have been anybody in the community. So you know, a university student could be part of this early childhood council. There was no limit. So that participation is a very strong thing. Another so, very that, strong so that has um, endured, sorry, Jen, that, that participation has endured over the years? Yes, it has. Mm. We just, we're just at a very difficult time in actual fact because there's been um, a democratic um, government in Reggio Emilia ever since the war. 
And for the first time this year, it has been challenged. So we're just waiting now for the results of those elections to see what's going to happen. Because another, another um, I, I think one of the things about Radio Amelia that people perhaps don't know so much about is it is a system of education. Mm. So uh, the municipality set up an institute, an institutione, um, and in that institute, they employ um, several pedagogists. I think there are about 13 of them. These are people with a higher qualification in education or psychology or in some aspect. In the centres themselves, they, there is not a director of the centre. Everybody is involved with the children. And so there is central enrolment. But these, these pedagogistas will actually have responsibility for five centres. So it could be two infant toddler centres and three preschools. But they will visit those centres on a regular basis. So that institutione, um, the people who are part of that are actually work together very closely. And so they are looking at all the latest research that's coming in from all over the world, from many different um, disciplines. And then this research is discussed and then it's taken back to each of their centres to know what is going on, what it might mean, and which leads into another principle of Reggio, which is research, educational research, because they see their centres as places of research, not in the academic sense. They like to think about this, and it's breaking up that term into research, research for a greater understanding of both how children learn and how to make them visible to the whole community and to value early childhood education. So that's another one of those principles. Um, another, another very strong principle is documentation. And the documentation has had an evolution because I think um, this uh, next year will be 100 years since the birth of Loris Malaguzzi. And many of these ideas that have come through have been based in his own thinking about things, but also always in collaboration with other educators. So mm. collaboration is a very, very strong word along with participation. It's not one of the principles, but it goes across all the principles. Um, so the documentation began as a way to, to share back with children what was happening. So they don't document everything that happens, but they do document uh, projects, and there will usually be perhaps four projects in a year introduced by the teachers. doesn't mean they don't also take on board um, interests of the children at the same time. So that documentation is there um, to be discussed and interpreted by the educators together. And so really is, the, is the documentation then for... Um, the it's it's for the educators or for the families or for the children what's the jo documentation for well it's actually for everybody and I think um, <laughs> the when a project is in in process it will be a topic that's offered to the children and um, and the children will will debate about how they might be if they're interested in this and how how they would be interested in it Rejo talk about um, their, their way of planning has this wonderful word, progettazioni, <laughs> which is nobody can spell or pronounce. Um, and it's a way, it's, it's a, it's a, uh, it has a um, sense to it that everything can, can change. <laughs> but it's introduced to the children and then the documentation starts to occur and the adults will 
will um, start to, the teachers, the educators will start to analyse what's going on here, which will also lead the project because it's taking the children, using the children as a compass to actually be involved in this planning as well as the ideas coming from teachers. So it's a collaboration really in this work. At the same time, um, this project is shared with the families as it proceeds. And so the families um, are invited to come to meetings. I think the Italian way of life of having a siesta in the afternoon means the parents will come to a, a parent meeting at 10 o'clock at night, which is a very different thing. But they will, they will stay and they share this documentation. This is some of the conversation of the children. This is um, some of the drawings that children are using as a, because the 100 languages of children is another principle underlying the Regio approach, giving children many voices to speak with, not just the verbal linguistic languages. And then they will say to the parents, this is where we think, this is where we've been thinking about this and we've been discussing it and we think the way to take this project forward is to take it in this direction. What do you think? And the parents are given the opportunity to also communicate ideas, suggest resources, but also to be involved in those projects as well. So that's who the documentation is for. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's for a very, um, I guess, that's seen sometimes differently here in Australia. And also I'm sort of thinking of the the context for um, early childhood education in Reggio is quite different to the context that we have here in Australia. So how does that then translate to Australian settings and what would you recommend people sort of think about in that context of translation? Yes, I, I think the first answer is with difficulty. <laughs> this is sometimes pioneer work, and I think um, I think one of one of the the things that is so strong in Reggio is that the children all attend five days a week um, for for the full for a full day, and even the infant toddlers centres. So this you've got this strong connection both between the children and, the, and the, the adults, the educators will stay with the children, the same group of children for the three years that they are in a program. Oh, right. So you have this very strong relationship that develops both between you know, groups of children, um, groups of educators and groups of families too. So this is why this collaboration and communication can be so strong. So we immediately have this issue of this continuity and of how we develop those relationships doesn't mean it's not not um, possible but we have to think about it in a very different way I think the sheer number of children I, I think that um, particularly in our childcare centers where children are attending perhaps only one day a week or the, the group may only be eight children who or less who will attend for that full time so it's building those relationships between the children but also in working on particular projects and things so there are educators who uh, you know have are tackling this in many ways but I think if you think of how many children can um, educators in a childcare centre might be seeing in a week how many families they're dealing with it's an enormous number um, it doesn't mean there isn't some wonderful work and people are really in many centres across Australia 
are really tackling these questions and perhaps um, dealing with those those principles underlying that project. I think the thing that is available to everybody is that image of the child mm. and the potential that the child really has and um, sharing that with families so that we are giving, we're trying not to, um, we're trying to realise those potentials for the children. So I think that's the place. I think the 100 languages too is a way of um, offering things to children. And I think too it's the way we, we question children. So if Reggio are working on a project with children, they will put forward a question and it might be, um, where do you where do you think the rain comes from? So that's a very different, where do you think the rain comes from? Is a very different question to where does the rain come from? Which is a, a an answer that the teacher knows. Where do you think the rain comes from? Is a very different question. So it's giving the child that opportunity and, and the belief that the teacher is interested in what the child thinks too. Because this is not, I think um, what we're seeing here is children are going way beyond our expectations of this particular age groups that we're working with in early childhood. And I think, um, I think when we think about extending children, we go straight to the academic realm of how we'll extend them. This is going into the intellectual realm of really encouraging children to think and to problem themselves and to challenge each other and to come up with strategies to test theories. And uh, many educators are coming to when they really start to listen to children, hear that children have theories continually. And it's really getting children to think about those theories and to develop strategies of how to test the theories. So I think um, in, a, in a slightly different way, that morning meeting I think is a really important thing. Often we think about it or we used to think about it in terms of show and tell. I know that's long gone. Well, I hope it's long gone. But this is a genuine meeting and I see these genuine meetings happening in many centres now too, where it's not a case of we're all going to sit on the mat at this o'clock and we're going to finish at half past. But rather, there's an agenda for this meeting. And um, sometimes the children have contributed to that agenda of what will be discussed at this meeting. Sometimes a family might, member might have uh, asked if something could be discussed. Or the teachers might be discussing what to do for the morning, but it's a genuine meeting in Reggio Media. It might last for five minutes, it might last for half an hour. It could last for even longer than that with the older children who are really engaged. Mm. So and I suppose that comes from the, the principles around participation and equality there in the image of the child, is that that's a, that's a worthwhile time to gather together and have those discussions. Yes, and I mean this was not this was not an easy thing to to sell to parents in in Reggio Emilia when they first first started to do this because um, the grandparents in particular were very against this because they had the management all the looking after children and they uh, didn't want to give their children into the centres. Maliguzzi began by taking um, the children and what they were doing out into the various um, streets and piazzas of the city. Um, to show people what they were doing. And this ended up developing into this exhibition, this um, exhibition to show, as uh, as I said before, um, as a piazza for questioning and discussion and dialogue about what the children were actually doing. So, yes, it always it goes back to that whole sense of the, these children are citizens <laughs> mm. and they to have the rights of citizens and they should be visible within the city. 
Yeah, so I think that that does give us some insight into the philosophy that that underpins um, Reggio Emilia early childhood, the, the project of Reggio Emilia. But one of the questions that somebody asked actually was that um, Reggio philosophy is uh, often referred to under the same umbrella as Steiner and Montessori as alternative education. And what, what are your thoughts on that, that particular thinking? Well, it's not, um, it's not a model for a start. And so there are no rules about how this actually works, uh, principles and ideas. And I would describe it as innovative um, education um, rather than, than putting it alongside Steiner and Montessori. And I think you could, Reggio is actually very eclectic because they've taken from, from every every theorist and every discipline too in their thinking about all of this and they continue to do so. But I think um, their values and beliefs have remained, uh, and they believe themselves that their values and beliefs have remained the same, but they have changed according to in the way they are implemented because it is in the community. So they're very, very close to changes of what's happening in the world. and. Um, I think um, I think it's a it's a, not a model, and I think that that's the, where where it differs. We'll be right back. Are you listening to our Exploring the NQS series? If you're a supporter of the show on Patreon, you're not only helping to keep the show going, you'll also get access to an extra podcast where I explore every element of the National Quality Standard one at a time. It's a great way to get yourself up to speed with the NQS, uh, consider different perspectives and grow your own professional development. Each episode is only 15 minutes and right now we're in the middle of Quality Area 4 staffing arrangements. Just head to earlyeducationshow.com and click support the show in the menu to sign up and start listening for as little as $1 a month. With more than 100 episodes under our belt, we're now turning to our wonderful listeners for ideas and topics for future episodes. If you're doing something amazing in the sector, know someone who is, or really just want to hear us tackle a particular sector issue, just head to earlyeducationshow.com and click pitch an idea. All right, back to the show. So when you're talking about then theorising, which is, you know, obviously one of the things that children and, and teachers do together or children and educators to do together is theorising together, researching together, doing those things. So uh, are um, educators free to have their own theoretical approaches and um, implement those? Or is there, do, do you feel that there is there has to be this sort of shared theoretical approach within the collaboration? Are you, are you talking about um, Australia now or Regia? Well, I think let's talk about Australia. Yes. That would be good. Yes, <laughs> um, yes I, I, I think it, um, it really depends always on, on the I think I think I'd take it back to um, a statement once again of Melaguzzi's, Loris Melaguzzi's. And Loris Melaguzzi said, your image of the child is where learning begins. So I think it is, um, if you're working in a centre, I think it's important then that that image is shared. Some of those strategies um, also, I think, I think have to be valued. And I think it's very interesting that, I mean, Regio have their own language. <laughs> so they've developed terms that um, 
that are difficult sometimes for us to interpret. And that happens because um, we're not Italian speakers, more largely not Italian speakers, but even so, even working with interpreters. So if we're having a speaker, uh, we're listening to somebody from Reggio, we're dependent on the interpreter telling us what this is what this is really about. And as I say, it's not just being able to interpret the Italian, it's being able to interpret um, this philosophy, which which is quite demanding really in some some senses. Mm. So I think if we take it into the Australian setting, um, it's a matter does when we use a particular phrase about something, does everybody in the centre share the meaning? And I think this is what's what's different in Reggio. Perhaps it's not quite so important about what that philosophy and that theory is, but it's we have a shared language and everybody in that centre knows and agrees about that sharing. So there'll be a lot of, lot of um, I think where this has been very successful, it's really where educators have sat down together and really unpacked some of the terms that they're using. So some of the, if they're thinking about Reggio, it's some unpacking some of those terms in Reggio. But I think it's this shared understanding which provides this consistency of approach <laughs> But at the same time, it brings in the different skills and the different um, aptitudes of the educators too. And I think that's something that Reggio rejoices in. There's somebody who has a special ability, it's really encouraged. That's part of their professional learning, which is another one of the principles underlying the project, is really to enhance the skill that an educator brings. But it's enhancing it in a way that everybody shares. So it's um, even the cook in Reggio will be invited to meetings sometimes to talk right. about how they see the child in a different situation. Mm. So at the very heart of it is the image of the child, which I think we sort of intellectually know this is the, the, the point at which the, the work starts in every early childhood setting, but that's the that shared image that you're talking about, that you spend the time together collaborating and understanding what that is. Yes, I, I think that's the I think that's the the part, and that's where, you know, sometimes um, when I'm speaking with with teachers, they'll they'll be very isolated because they're the only person who's thinking in a particular way. You know, that's very that's mm. very difficult. We also have the issue where children are working in this way and re working very closely with families, and this would be in a centre where there's an early childhood centre attached to a primary school, and then when the children move up into the primary school, then the parents are upset because they've seen a different way of their children learning and then all of a sudden it's straight into academics. And so, you know, it's it's across this um, this whole spectrum. And I think one of the things that Reggio um, that perhaps is helpful for us in Australia is that Reggio see that everything is connected and interconnected. You can't put things in little boxes and try and do it. So when I hear people talking about um, nature play, that's sort of separating nature from everything else that's, that's happening, perhaps. I don't mm. know. Something for this to discuss. Mm. Yeah, so that connection and interconnection is the, I guess, what brings it into the Australian cultural context as well, because you're not just translating something directly from, from um, another, uh, another political and cultural context. You're bringing it into the Australian and understanding that is those the, those connections that are made. 
I think that's exactly what it is. And I think um, REACH are now uh, communicating with 145 countries in the world. And I always ask the question, and I ask it, always ask it in relation to Australia, is what can this possibly mean? A small city in Italy, <laughs> what can this possibly mean for places, that, for a whole country who's trying to, to develop something because I think it is their system of education through the Sensitutzioni and their early childhood councils that enable this to be so successful. I think when you try and apply this, we have to, unless we can think about our own centres as a community and try to make those those uh, connections, I think it is is that that's really, really challenging. Reggio really asked the question, what is education for? And I think that's another really important aspect. So I'm, mm, and I'm, that's that's tricky here in Australia because I think there's there's so many different versions of what education is for, and I think that's what yes. the the early childhood um, movement here in Australia, I guess, is fighting against so much of that um, idea that education is for you know to to do really well in your exams or your tests and to become a, a, a functioning part of the economy. And I think that challenges so many, so many in the sector, doesn't it? It does. It is. It's a, it's, I think another one of the really big differences is that, of course, in Australia and most of most Western countries, we really are constantly, we're really thinking about, you know, they're thinking about the group. And so and learning from each other which is it's very, very strong. Whereas for us, we want to know where is my child's painting? Where is um, this? It doesn't mean that's not important in Reggio, but it's really the work of children as a group. It was Madaguzzi's hope that every child would leave one of their centres knowing that they could achieve far more working with others than they could ever achieve mm. alone. Mm. So and that's, that's a whole different... Um, philosophy, isn't it? Because it's not about the individual, which is unfortunately where we're kind of we're at in Australia at this stage. Yes, we had a, a conference where we had one of the speakers from Reggio House and she told a wonderful story about a father who brought his child to, as an infant, to one of the infant toddler centres. And he said, when I brought Enrico to the um, infant toddler centre, I was the father of Enrico. When Enrico left, when he was three years of age, I was the father of all the children in the infant toddler centre. Now yeah. my child is leaving the preschool. I'm the father of every child in Reggio Emilia. And so it's bringing together that, that responsibility of a community. So I think it's so. a very, very different way of looking at um, the world, isn't it? And that's it's, it yeah, it's a very, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> quite quite different, and so that's why sometimes it's it's hard to translate. Um, there's just a question around documentation, and um, what do you see as the differences and maybe the similarities between documentation in Australian settings and and in Reggio, and and what can we learn? I think that one of the um, I think when people when you ask people why they're documenting because sometimes I visit centres that are drowning in documentation mm. and I think in actual fact Reggio doesn't are very specific about what they do spend time documenting there's a real reason behind it when I speak to to teachers or educators about this sometimes they will say we do it for the parents mm. because um, and I think it's a way of, of showing parents that there's a lot happening and as well as sharing what the work of the children. 
But in Regio, the documentation really relates to their own professional learning. And so as the children are working on a project, they see the children as researchers on the particular topic that's being explored. They see themselves as researchers about how the children are actually going about the process of the children how do they ask questions? What works best in, in the small group? Because Regio would work a lot with small groups of children, which gives every child the opportunity to speak. When Regio first started to document, that, that was also one of the reasons behind it. It was to share with families. It was to give memory for the children of what they'd been doing. And it also, it was an opportunity for um, the adults to share and to discuss as well. But now... That documentation is it does all those things, but its real focus has become um, part of professional learning of the of the mm. educators. Yeah, so there's a tipping point in that, isn't there? Where it's, you know, where where it's for who who the audience is for a start. But if we yes. think of it in the context of as a professional professional development tool or a professional learning or an understanding of children within the image of, of the child that's been that is understood at that that service then there has to be a natural point at which the documentation stops do you think that's I think that's exactly right and I think that um, as I say in Reggio they would normally have have four projects over over a year that they would introduce. And that is what they document, those four projects. That's their intentional documentation. It doesn't mean, um, of course, they're taking records of children in the same way as we would because they're, they're having to keep documents and wanting to keep documents about individual children's development. Mm. But, um, a lot of that comes out of that the documentation of those four projects too because it's all there in the conversations of the children or the drawings of the children. Or whatever it is, but no, they would they would um, attempt to do more of that. But you know, I, in some I can remember visiting a centre in Melbourne on one occasion, and there was actually um, as the parents were arriving, there was a recording on the on a outside room, and it was a recording of children's conversation, and the children had been sitting at the clay table and had this amazing discussion, and the the educators had just put the tape recorder on the table and then they played so parents could up standing outside the door when they arrived while they were waiting would listen to this discussion. So there wasn't a lot of writing or so it's finding ways to, to document what's what's appropriate. So mm. I think I think now to the I think um, the thing about photography too now is one of the issues that because people so easy to take photographs. People take photographs of everything. And in Reggio, they would be very, very specific about why they were taking a photograph. And mm. you just said, who is the audience for this? And if you want to create a dialogue, which I think is a, is a wonderful thing for documentation with families, is to create just a small piece of documentation which, which raises lots of issues and, ask, and asking parents there what they think. Opportunity yeah. there's, there's a couple of couple of questions for me in there though in terms of children's rights um, you know if you are recording something where does a child have have the right to say well you know I'm not really I don't really want that shared or or how do children understand then that that's that is actually what's happening yes I think I, I think that's a very important a very important question 
and I think um, I think in Regio itself, that's it's always been it's been discussed with the families and the children. The children know, and I think um, it's really interesting. I think in Australia, where where I can remember a child coming up to one of the the educators and saying, "Have you got your notebook ready?" Because that is something really important to say, and really appreciating the fact that their words valued in this way. But as you say, it's always possible to ask children. Mm, yeah. I think that's a very valid question. Yeah, so that that puts the um, the responsibility in the hands of the educators around um, respecting children's rights there. The other aspect of documentation is we've, we're very fortunate in this country to have the National Quality Framework and a set of standards that applies to early childhood education. Um, so how does how does documentation, you know, how do we ensure that the requirements of the standards are met, but also the documentation has integrity um, in terms of the theoretical and philosophical position? I think um, I think one of those. Uh, I think one of the ways of, of doing this is to. I think what Reggio would do with their documenting um, would be to have have a draw up a chart for the particular purpose of the of the documentation. So it would have the names of the children involved. As I said, it's a lot of small group work in in Reggio, but also the teacher's name to see how often the teacher's controlling the conversation, as well as doing this, but also different ways of of, of programming. So, you know, they might have they they might have um, whenever they're working on a particular project, they might have five different ways of collecting the documentation for mm. that purpose, which I think would easily meet the standards. But I think on, on the individual line. Um, I didn't think I'd ever ever be promoting checklists, but I think that um, if you did have a checklist for individual children, if you go back to that documentation and look at the conversations of the children, and I've actually done this with with a group of teachers a long time ago now, where you could say um, about about language, see page six of the um, child's portfolio or the child's memory book or whatever you might be calling it and it's all recorded there so um, there's a way of meeting those standards would also be possibly met in that same way. And having the ability I suppose to explain and, and communicate what it is that you're doing in terms of documentation and how that does meet the, the standards. Yes, I think I think there are centres who, who, you know, centres that I know who do manage it very well, but it's taken a while to be able to really sort out that without drowning, as I say, in in other people's necessity for documentation. Yeah, as well as yeah. This, this pedagogical documentation. Yeah. Um, there was a great question that um, came from one of our listeners, which was, um, "How can we, as advocates for children, continue to give children a voice in a society and political structure that often doesn't value young children?" And we were talking a moment ago about the difference in the purpose of education, and again, there's a difference in the value for young children in this country. I think we've just observed that in in uh, the outcome of an election. Not that people were all voting on early childhood education, but the valuing of um, of children in terms of policy from from opposition parties was contested, and the question is really, you know, how can we 
how can we continue to give children a voice and what can Reggio schools teach us about that? Yes, it's a wonderful question. One I, one I often ponder. I knew you'd I, like that one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's always uh, it's always been my belief that if we were going to, I, I think that whole thing about those early childhood councils was the, the critical importance of the parent's voice. And I think that politically um, we have to be working much more closely with our, our parents as advocates. And I think in Reggio, because of this um, not such a strong emphasis on the individual, it, seemed, <laughs> it, it is more difficult because to, to move to that stage. But we are seeing, seeing the places, and centres and where, where families are coming to really appreciate the other children in the centre and the value that they play for each other. I think that um, I think we we start to I think we have to start to to really try and capitalise on what parents can can do to make the voice visible. But too often we see the voice of children. I <laughs> think I'm sitting in a coffee shop. I see the voice of the child silenced by handing them a phone or a laptop. Mm. So <laughs> that. Um, it's a it's a very difficult question, but I think I think it's a question that we this question of advocacy, I think for children, is an enormous one that we really haven't as a as a whole community in Australia taken on board, and we do see it as as not really really important. Yeah, again, comes back to the image of the child, doesn't it, and and yeah. how we're thinking about children. And I think you know it is. I think. Moving to that image of the chi image of the child is is a very difficult thing. We did um, I did some work in Adelaide at one time, and we actually did uh, some sessions on the image of the child. And we set up a project where people actually went out into the community and they they interviewed um, they interviewed people outside early childhood about the image of the child. They interviewed people in uh, in businesses within their society. <laughs> And it was really, really interesting. And I think um, the people who do have that strong image are grandparents. That's <laughs> another group of people mm. because they they do see the children are far more. I can always remember my, my father saying to me about my children. Um, they've been here before, he used to say. And mm. it is that listening that sees something that we're too busy or not interested in actually seeing in the broader community. Yeah. So I think um, we have a um, very large exhibition in, in the main city area in Melbourne of children of early childhood education and documentation by educators, which really opened that up to the public. And I think it's trying to, to make children, it's just trying to give them visibility in some way that moves beyond just the parents and the early childhood centres. And it's complicated because the parents are not there for very long. <laughs> they're just a couple of yeah. years. They're yeah. on the next stage. Yeah. It's sort, of, sort of seeing early childhood is, is this most important part of education. And so it's getting that message over is a very difficult one. Well, I often think that the best advocates, parent advocates, are those that have moved into the school system following early childhood education because they often see the value upon reflection, you know, of, uh, after they've entered the school system and the way that their children can engage 
in the school system, I think. So maybe there's an opportunity there for us to, you know, think of advocates beyond the, the early childhood setting and in the community. Yes, but I think it raises, a, you know, something of huge importance that um, I think the Red Jar Australia people <laughs> could take on board as one of the, the areas that they could explore further how we might engage with this. But it's all the organisations, I think, who are involved. Yeah, and how, how people, how we see children as citizens and how they are visible in the community and, and what that what that looks like, hoping that children aren't always out in high-vis vests so that we don't, you know, or they're just actually out there in the community as a part of the community. I think that's, I think that's a wonderful way to look at it. <laughs> yeah. So um, on to probably what's a, a bit more of a contentious topic, which is around um, centres that are establishing themselves now and their, you know, their their marketing is all about being Reggio inspired, or we're a Reggio centre, and that that may or may not be um, fully sort of thought through in terms of the the principles, or it may be only about what is being seen in the environment, because there's a perception that Reggio is all about the, you know, the the beautiful environment and the, the way that that's set up. How, how do you feel about that, Jan, given your long history and your your grasp of the philosophy? Well, I'm just largely disappointed that, that this is actually happening, but it's happening all over the all over the world, really. And I think um, the only place that there can really be um, a Reggio Centre is in Reggio Amelia because yes. it's a, unique. <laughs> so I think immediately um, it should be an indication to families that if somebody's calling it this, they have misunderstood what Reggio Amelia is really about. Uh, initially, um, when the first centres named Reggio Amelia Centres came about, that was the way we used to approach it, was to say to people, well, you know, we're suggesting that or we know that it's not possible to do this. And Reggio Amelia would say it themselves too, that this is a unique uh, project and it's not a model, so there's no way you can have this sort of centre. And I think it's... Um, so it's, it, it, is, it is very disappointing. And I think if anybody... Um, it's very difficult to protect the name and to protect the brand of, of Reggio Amelia. And I think they were very generous initially with all of their work, and they still are, but now it's it's very hard to predict um, what's happening. But mm. I think it's unfortunate that um, we need to be, I don't know how we can really, really manage this. I think it's trying to, trying to share with families that it doesn't automatically, or they need, there are some big questions to ask about, um, about what that means. And you're right. And I think I think when we, we first uh, people first started visiting Reggio, it was the environments that they came back and changed immediately because it was concrete. And I think the whole philosophy is difficult and complicated. And so to change the environment was a possible thing to do. I think too. And initially, um, one of the things that really amazed us was the use of light. Things. So using light tables and overhead projectors in Reggio. So I can always remember on one occasion somebody from a local government in Victoria phoned me and we've got a whole room full of a uh, whole storeroom full of overhead projectors. 
to go to the centres. And what do you actually do with them, you know, with this? <laughs> yes, well, <laughs> and the, and all the light tables as well. I mean, they're you know they're wonderful things, but as you say, they're they're really just a tool that is that is part of a, a much greater philosophy. So yes, yeah. and then yeah. we find the room so because the they don't have the space that the radio centres have. We have find the room so cluttered with all of this extra stuff. Of yeah. what are you going to take out, <laughs> or you know, is this really the the way to go? Or I'm not I'm not saying it isn't. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful possibilities, but it is that. That, that was the thing that was easy to, to change. Mm. And I, I think that there have been wonderful developments in the environments and the respect for children within those environments, whether they're kind of Reggio-inspired or regio centres. That's been a, a wonderful development in Australian early childhood education at, at this stage, which I think has been in many ways, um, you know, uh, steered by the early years learning framework and 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 some of the elements of the standards, um, but it is, yeah, it, it is that sense that we are establishing something that is a regio centre that is probably um, very concerning for you. Yes, it is. That is concerning. At the same time, you know, there are some wonderful, wonderful educators and some wonderful, wonderful centres, and so. There is change uh, coming about in in lots of places, but um, that is the concerning part that people and people speaking about Reggio who've never ever been to Reggio, mm -hmm. and or you know know little about the work, but suddenly become experts or consultants they've been once. Or, mm -hmm. So and I think the thing for me about Reggio is and I've probably been 30 times at least <laughs> now, is that every time I go, just when I think I really understand some aspect very well, I look, this little window opens up and I look through and I see this whole other part that I hadn't understood because it's a very, very complicated process. The thing that's wonderful about that is that we can remain as learners and I think it's seeing the, the we talk about the image of the child but I think it's the image of the educator, that image of the educator as a learner and a researcher who's seen children every day and has the opportunity to ask really big questions about why and how in the lives of children in centres. So we see this happening um, in many, many places and it's very, across Australia, it's a very exciting thing to see. Yeah, I think there is that, that growth in um, people, you know, working, as you say, side by side with children, researching together and understanding the world together. And uh, I, I kind of often hark back to um, the the um, sort of motto, I suppose, for, for my university, which is living well in a world worth living in. And I think that that is, you know, that, that just sits really comfortably for me because it is about learning together, the sort of, the, the sort of things that you're saying there, um, collaborating. As, as a community to to learn and and live well in that community as well. Yes, I think so. So thank you, Jan. It seems like we have wandered over a lot of territory today, and it's been a wonderful opportunity. I guess what I take away is that people need to start with their thinking on the image of the child, and that is a wonderful starting point as a um, collaborative exercise in any early childhood setting and there are so many 
other opportunities here for people to think deeply about early childhood education, taking inspiration from Reggio, but not taking Reggio. So there are many, many opportunities there about the um, democratic participation of children and remembering that this um, early childhood education is political and we can never get away from that. And I think the roots of Reggio's have definitely shown us that. So in the interest of uh, you having a cup of tea and me stopping this recording, I'd just like to say thank you very much for being on the Early Education Show this morning. Thank you very much, Leanne. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. If you'd like to find out more about the Reggio Emilia project and connect with other educators and professionals who are interested, the Reggio Emilia Australia Information Exchange are holding their biennial conference from the 11th to the 14th of July in Perth. The conference will include keynote speakers from the schools of Reggio Emilia. You can find out more about that conference and the organisation at regioaustralia.org.au. You have been listening to The Early Education Show. Thanks to our guest for this episode, Jan Milliken. You can find show notes and links for this episode and all our other episodes at earlyeducationshow.com. The show is hosted by Lisa Bryant, Leanne Gibbs and Liam McNicholas and produced by Liam McNicholas. The music is by Jazar at betterwithmusic.com. Please subscribe, rate and review the show in the Apple Podcast Store. It really helps others find the show. Get in touch with us at Early Edu Show on Facebook and Twitter or send us an email at earlyedushow at gmail.com. See you next time.